welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast, where we talk about all things writing and indie publishing. I'm Jackie Castle, and I'm joined by Becca Spence-Tobias. Today, we're excited to talk about writing choose-your-own-adventure stories with the returning guest, Matt Harry. Matt is an author, editor, screenwriter, and playwright. He graduated from the University of Southern California with an MFA in film production and has worked for ABC, CBS, Sony, and HGTV. He has edited over 20 novels, several of which have gone on to win awards or optioned for television and film. In 2019, he wrote and directed an interactive romantic comedy called Somebody to Love. He has also written the novels Sorcery for Beginners, Cryptozoology for Beginners, and Super Kid. His latest novel, You Are a Filmmaker, is an interactive novel based on his 25 years in the film industry. Welcome, Matt. We're so excited to have you back. Yeah, thank you for having me again. I I love the podcast. I, I literally every time I listen to it, I walk around all day going like the opening music sticks in my head all day. So it's great. <laughs> so Matt, to start us off, just tell us a little bit about your new project, and then I have a lot of specific questions for you regarding your process because Matt shared these amazing, like um, I guess, story maps or legends for the story and how he keeps track of all the different um, storylines and how they intertwine. So th- we're going to get into that. But to start us off, so our and listeners are a little oriented, can you just tell us about You Are a Filmmaker? Absolutely. And again, yeah, thank, thank you for having me on to talk about it. So You Are a Filmmaker is an interactive novel about making it big in the film business. And... Um, It's kind of based on 25 years of my personal experience in the film and TV business and also stories from people I know that I've worked with and then kind of famous people that I've heard their stories about what it's like in this kind of unusual business. Um, And so literally everything, there's a little thing I put in the beginning of the book that says everything in this book happened, probably. Um, because even the ones that are, I kind of invented out of my head, they were based on things that, you know, are not too far away from things that happen to people. So, uh, one thing I should say is, uh, I found out early on when I was working on this book that the phrase choose your adventure is actually a trademarked phrase and I couldn't use it in any of my uh, official marketing or anything like that. Like I can't, if I put it on the book, like I'll get sued. So that's why I started calling it uh, an interactive novel. Huh. That is really interesting. So should we change the name of this episode? You're probably fine. If you get a cease and desist letter, you know, uh, then maybe we'll reconceive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have never thought that. Um, one of the things that first came to mind, and maybe you could speak to a little bit, is that that term, you know, choose your own adventure, interactive novels, my mind goes immediately to YA and middle grade. So was that something that you were into as a kid? And is it something that you've always wanted to write? I was a huge fan of Choose Your Adventure books when I was a kid, that series. Um, And I literally still have the first 100 of them in my house. Like my parents moved a few years ago. They retired to Cleveland. And so they were packing up everything. And my mom was like, I don't know, do you want these books? And she sent me a picture of this giant box of choose your adventure books, like from the early eighties that i had had. And I was like, yes. Oh my God. So I, and the last time I went home, I took back a, a whole separate bag just for those books. And what's been amazing is my own kids. I have a six year old and an 11 year old. They've now been reading them and rediscovering them. 
but because they're these crappy paper books, like they open them and like all the pages fall out. <laughs> so I'm like, you have to be careful. Those are antiques. But yeah, I was a big, big fan of those books and um, I read a bunch of them. And then through those books, I got into a couple of other choose your adventure type series like Fighting Fantasy was a big one. There was a um, dungeon crawler type fantasy. There was like a D&D based one that I read. There was an Indiana Jones series that I really liked, which was like you're Indiana Jones and you're going on all these different Indiana Jones adventures. So I was always a huge fan of those types of books as a kid. And then I kind of, you know, you start reading adult stuff, you get away from that, you forget about it. And, you know, frankly, I didn't consider even writing one until a few years ago when I did this interactive play um, called Somebody to Love. And I was like, I had such a great time doing it because it was basically like it was a play. So it, it was live and we had four actors, five actors, and then we had an audience show up and this the lead character was telling the audience, she's like dating these three guys, but you can't pick which one to like kind of be with. And so the audience follows her on three different dates and watches them and then picks which person she's going to end up being with. And I had such a fun time doing that. I immediately was like, how can I do this with other different stories? And I was like, well, I've written novels. Could I, I was something like, what a choose your adventure. Like, could that be a thing? Like, does that exist as like, do they exist for adults? And so I started doing research and I found these great books by Ryan North, who is a comic book writer. And he wrote these adult choose your adventure versions of Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet. And he funded the first one on Kickstarter. Uh, it was called uh, To Be or Not to Be. That is the adventure. That's the, the Hamlet one. And so I picked it up and I just thought it was so funny and fun to read and to take this thing that the story we know really well and make it a choosing adventure and you can pick characters and it was just really fun and it had tons of illustrations and then that was like my inspiration of like I really want to do this you know my own version of this and then kind of was thinking like what could that be what could my version of that be because there's been as I started doing more research there's been a ton of different ones there's like adult Jane Austen choose your adventure type things where you're kind of in a Jane Austen novel. Um, there's a lot of romance ones like romance and erotica type choose your adventure stuff is really popular. And so I was trying to think of something different and you're thinking about what do I know? And I obviously came back to kind of film and that immediately, uh, uh, this idea of jobs I thought was really interesting as a choose your adventure thing. Cause I think most of us in our lives that's the biggest thing we get to choose is like, what do we do for a living and all the different pathways we could take? And should I take this job or that job? Or should I move here or go there? And so immediately I was like, you, there could be, you are a doctor, you are a musician, you are a, you know, whatever it is, a teacher. And to do the first one, I was like, well, I got to do the thing I know the best, which is filmmaking. That was a very long answer. Uh, so you mentioned that you've written novels and I know like when I'm writing fiction, sometimes it can be hard to figure out which which way I want the story to go. And so this kind of gives you a way to express all of all of the ways you want to go. Um, you want to go with the story. But I'm wondering if you have like any desire for your readers to pick a certain path. Like, is it hard for you to not know if they're going to pick the right way for the story to go? That's a really interesting question. I think there's an interesting thing about... Uh... Like I said, I'm a big fan of like immersive storytelling. Um, pretty much everything I do now has some kind of element of immersive storytelling. And I think 
the thing with that is you have to be willing to let it go off the rails a little bit. You have to be willing to let the audience kind of not do the thing you're expecting, which happens. Like when I was doing the immersive play, we literally had, we were walking around outside and our lead actress, as she was in the middle of the show, she was like leading, you know, the audience from one place to the other. A friend of hers pulled up in a car and was like, Trisha, how's it going? Hey, what are you doing? And Trisha stayed in character and she was like, I think you have the wrong person. Sorry, my name is so-and-so. And like, we kept going. And then after the show, she had to text her friend and she's like, I'm so sorry. Like that was, you know, I was in the middle of doing a show. I had to be stay in character. Um, so that kind of stuff, I think you have to be willing to let that stuff happen. With the book, I definitely, I definitely, as I was writing it, I wanted to follow all these different pathways. I wanted there to be good and bad stuff. I wanted people to have the opportunity to make what I think of as like bad choices, selfish choices. But then I really tried, it came as I was writing it, I really started to realize, well, I don't want to necessarily reward people for making selfish choices. Because what I've seen, again, like being in this business for 25 years, is I feel like you see people who do get success by being jerks. But I, I think everyone knows they're jerks. Like everybody has like, like the, the people who are the bad people, they get the reputation. Everyone knows they're kind of doing it and they may not get punished for it immediately, but I think they get punished for it eventually. And so that was something, whether it's, you know, like you think about like Harvey Weinstein or people like that who, you know, spent decades horribly mistreating people, but eventually got his comeuppance and went to prison. Um, and I think we're now having a kind of a reckoning in Hollywood for people like that. And so that was something that I really wanted to put in there is like, you can make these bad choices and you may find success, but you will, it's not going to be as happy an ending. And at the same time, I wanted to acknowledge the people who, you know, that there are all kinds of happiness in the business, that being happy doesn't mean necessarily winning Academy Awards and making hundreds of millions of dollars, because I know people who are very happy working like middle-class jobs, or I know people who've left the business and find happiness because they're like, it wasn't for me. So I wanted to kind of be true to all of that um, and acknowledge that like, you don't have to be a huge success to be happy. And that if it, there is a karmic, I think, aspect to working in any industry of like how you treat people, the decisions you make, it's all going to kind of come back to you at some point. Uh, I was just going to ask if you think that all of that applies to publishing too, that people get <laughs> what goes around comes around in publishing and your thoughts on success. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, all these, particularly creative industries, I think are, are hard because a lot of times, you know, you're dealing with all the stuff you're dealing with in any other business, but you also have this kind of creative aspect, which is hard to figure, you know, it's like, it's this ineffable thing sometimes. Like someone saying something is good or bad is a matter of opinion. And so there's all these like, and there's a lot of emotion in it too. You know, I'm sure there's emotion with people like who are plumbers, <laughs> but it's not as emotional because it's not something you created out of yourself that you're trying to share with the world. So it's, it's already difficult. And then there's this added thing of you're, you're dealing with people's emotions and I mean, when I worked as an editor, um, I worked for an indie publisher called Inkshares for several years as an editor. <laughs> and um, I edited your book, both of your books. Um, and so it was really tricky sometimes dealing with 
the emotional aspect of stuff. Like we would give people notes and they would take it hard. And I felt terrible about that. Uh, and I would try and say like, look, these are, these are our opinions. This is the things we'd like you to do, you know, but, um, at the end of the day, it's like, I was answering to somebody, but it's like, it kind of made me realize too that uh, it gave me an appreciation for what it was like to be on the other side of the desk, like in, in development, because I'd always been a writer before that. And then you go in and you realize like there's all these things that writers aren't thinking about, like release dates and similar titles and, you know, companies that are asking for certain kinds of things that they want to see. And do you respond to that? Do you, you know, so there's a lot of like all this other political stuff that kind of goes on behind the scenes. Which also kind of, I think, came to bear when I was writing this book. You know, I was able to kind of write from that perspective. Like there's some of those jobs that you can take where you have to make those decisions and you're kind of holding people's dreams in your hand. And, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to deal with that? Are you just going to like say, do this, who cares and crush their dreams? Or are you going to try and, you know, take care of that a little bit, which I, I tried my best to do. I don't know that it's always successful because it's so emotional <laughs> and, you know, I think sometimes you're like, this is my opinion. These are the notes. And people are like, well, you're wrong. And it's like, that's valid. That's valid. And it's really interesting when I was thinking about this project that you're working on, it reminded me a lot of, you know, we talked how there's some similarities between role-playing games as well, where people are just kind of ready to change that world, depending on the feedback they receive. Um, but you have this very interesting angle from it in that a certain path of this kind of represents your life. And so can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Because I imagine, you know, it's different than you're writing the you're a film, you're a teacher, you are a plumber or, you know, any other book you might do is that one of these paths are the paths that you have chosen or the paths that have opened to you or the doors you have closed. And I just imagine that was a really interesting process for you because you're also exploring you know, what would my life have been had I taken this other turn? So can you speak to that? Yeah, interesting is definitely a word I would use. Uh, traumatic would be another word. <laughs> Therapeutic would be another word. It was it was way more emotional than I expected to work on this because as I was working on it, of course, I, you draw on what you know. And as I started writing about little scenarios, I would find myself putting in these scenes that had actually happened to me. And at a certain point, I was like, well, this would be really interesting to kind of show people which things had kind of happened to me and which had not. Um, there's actually not one exact pathway that goes through the book because I've hopped around a lot and I've done a bunch of different things. I worked as an editor. Um, I've done sound. I've directed things. I've done some producing. So I kind of drew upon all that and it's kind of sprinkled throughout all the, the different pathways. And I don't know the ending of my own story at this point. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping I'm only halfway through my film career and that something, you know, things will happen at some point. I still have that, you know, ultimate hope that, you know, maybe I'll get to make a, a TV show that I create or a, you know, another film that I direct or something like that. I'm still very active kind of developing projects. But um, yeah, it was very, it was very interesting working on that because when I'd work on those scenes, I would definitely have those thoughts of like, what if I like, what if I done this instead of that or mistakes that I made, you know, I, I totally made the wrong decision at that point And I just have to, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't go back. So I ended up coming away feeling very Zen about it in a way, because it was like, 
I at least, if I couldn't go fix the mistakes in my own life, at least I could like think about what might have happened had I done the other thing instead and where would that have led? I feel like that would tempt me to make all of the other decisions and not as well. <laughs> like to kind of justify <laughs> the decisions that I'd made. You're a bigger person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I, I, I did my best. I have flaws like anybody and I'm sure that there's... Um, you know, the the thing I think about once you're here longer in the business is like you do hit this point of realizing that you can only live your path and you can kind of only walk on the road that's in front of you. And all those things that you do, all those choices you make are just part of who you are. And even if I think I was able to like go do other things, I don't know that they would have fit who I really am. So I feel like you ultimately end up picking the things that are, I think, best for you. And I, I used to really beat myself up about it, you know, when I would see other people I knew kind of getting success or whatever. Um, and then I just realized it's like, that's not, I'm not on that path. I didn't have access to those opportunities or even the personality to do things the way they, they do things. So it's kind of, I think, just kind of, you know, becoming a little bit more comfortable with like, who, who I am and, and kind of the choices I've made and what I've done and trying to use that to build off the next choice and improve the next choice, hopefully. Yeah. So that makes me think like it's kind of interesting when you're reading a book like this, you probably use more logic in choosing which path you're going to take than you might in your own life where you might be going off of like a combination of logic and gut feeling or maybe you're going to use gut feeling more because there are lower stakes i don't know i feel like it's interesting we did a couple we've done a couple readings of it um with like because we did a kickstarter campaign so one of the things we did for the backers was we did a live reading of it with a bunch of actors which was really fun and what I found doing that is because it was a group thing, everybody was picking the bad choices. Like everybody was like, they, they literally picked one of the worst in terms of like morality, one of the worst pathways in the book, which is based on like a true story of this really terrible director who did these terrible things. And they just kept picking it. And I kept going like, are you guys sure you want to pick this? They're like, yeah, pick the, the bad thing, do it. And so I think there was like a fun, there's also a fun kind of safe what if aspect that I think plays into this, which is like you get to do the things that you wouldn't feel comfortable doing or the things that are criminal or the things that are, you know, inappropriate. You get to kind of do that stuff because it's safe in the book form. You know, you, you can just go back and flip to the other thing. So that was an interesting thing I was I was surprised about. That's fascinating. And it makes me think, I know that in the adult space, you know, the books are relatively new, which hopefully you're kind of helping to pave that way and it becomes a bigger thing. But I've noticed even some of the streaming platforms have done kind of choose your own adventure stories. There was like a Kimmy Schmidt movie and like a Black Mirror episode. And I can totally see like as a viewer when I've tried to watch those and I'm like, oh, I want to pick. I want to pick the most dramatic choice because I just want to see what they do. And I think as you become savvy about that, um, you also start to realize, and I want to talk to you about exactly how you break this down, that some of those choices are going to turn you back around more quickly um, to the main storyline again. So did every did every path that your readers took like continue or did you have some where it was like a dead end that kind of brought you back to the main storyline? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, and as I was working on this, I 
went through and I, I started doing research about a lot of these new techniques because there's a lot of as you know people are kind of rediscovering these books now and writing adult versions of them. I think they're kind of improving on and expanding upon what we used to think of as the classic choose your adventure model. So now there's things like loops that you can go through. There are things that people do where the characters have like hit points or stats even so that as you're reading these game books, you can like pick up items that you can use in other places. And if you don't have the item, you can't move on. I didn't do a lot of that. Um, I kind of, but I did have some like there's secret endings in it. There are some loops that happen so like you can go back and re-choose things because I did want it to echo what I think is true in the business, which is that I don't feel like things are closed off forever. You know, I feel like as long as you're alive and you're creative, you can always kind of reinvent yourself. So I wanted to really have that be an option that even if you go down a certain pathway and you maybe kind of lose your way a little bit, you can, there are certain points where you can go back and try and reinvent yourself. Like there's a couple of pathways where you can choose to write a screenplay and there's one where you choose to make your own movie and there's one where you could even go back to film school because like the first, the very first choice in the first page of the book, because again, I wanted to honor this too, is that you don't have to go to film school to be a filmmaker. I went to film school, but I know a lot of people who didn't. They just started making movies or they wrote plays and then came into the film business and they're very good filmmakers. So the very first page of the book is it's your first day of film school and you're about to walk in and you're excited. And then this filmmaker comes out, this crazy guy, and he's like, we're just going to make our own movies. Like, who's with me? And you can choose to leave film school on the first day and go with this kind of crazy filmmaker guy, or you can go inside to film school. But I wanted to also honor, like, if you leave film school with that guy, at a certain point, you can go back if you want to. Um, so there's a couple of, of loops like that. Um, I also wanted to kind of show that... There are certain kind of, I wanted to have each story be meaty enough and also have it be kind of justified. I think one of the things that used to bum me out about choose your adventure books is sometimes you'd pick the thing and then this random thing would happen to you. It's like, I'm going to choose to do this thing because it makes sense. And it's like, unfortunately, a satellite fell on your head. You are dead. And it's like, what? Satellite? Now, there are a couple of those in this book, but I try not to do too many. Um, I kept a couple just because I think that is kind of life. Like sometimes things happen. Um, like I actually went to film school with a woman named Tanya Trepanier. She was a semester behind me in film school and she graduated film school. It was two weeks after film school. She was getting ready to enter the business. She was riding her bike to campus and she was hit by a bus and she was killed. And I, that always stuck with me. The fact that like she had these, you know, hopes and dreams and these plans. And she'd gone through film school and she was ready to kind of start her career. And then this random thing happened that could have happened to any of us. You know, I rode my bike to school sometimes. I crossed those same streets. So I did want to kind of acknowledge things like that as well. There's another thing in the book too, where um, I knew a producer who was the boyfriend of a woman that, uh, who's an actor who's in a movie I did uh, named Chris Brinker. And he was an indie film producer. He produced Boondock Saints um, and Boondock Saints 2. So he was making movies and he was on set one day and he had this really bad headache in the morning and he was kind of like ignoring it. And then the, they were like, you need to go to the hospital. And he went to the hospital and he had a brain aneurysm and he, he passed away that morning. And it was, again, one of those just random things. He was totally healthy um, and it just kind of, it 
totally, you know, obviously devastated his girlfriend, Erica, because it was so unexpected. And so I wanted to, to honor that aspect of it, that sometimes no matter how much we plan things, certain things can happen. But I think in general, that stuff's really rare. So I didn't have that many kind of random endings. A lot of it I tried to build out of the choices you make lead to things happening, which lead to other things happening, which kind of compound, you know, your decisions. So from a process standpoint, Matt, what did that look like when you sat down? Did you have like one storyline that you wrote first and then you're like, all right, where could this branch off? Or just talk us through that a little bit because I'm looking at these, I'm going to share these on Instagram at some point, these, okay. these um, legends that you sent us <laughs> because it's just, it's so many overlapping lines. And the, the book, you can answer this in this answer as well, is not super long. So my brain is like, how does this even all fit into these pages. Um, so talk us through what that looked like. You sit down to write. Do you say, I'm going to go ahead and punch out all of storyline A? What do you do? Yeah. So I knew the first, once I'd, set, I'd settled on doing kind of a career track, I knew I wanted to focus on kind of the main career routes. And the great thing about filmmaking is it is broken up into departments, right? Like if you're going to be work a career, you're going to be like a producer or you're going to be a director or a writer or a crew person. So I knew I had those routes kind of in mind. And um, then I knew I wanted to do kind of the, the film school route versus the indie route. And so that was in my mind. And yeah, I kind of start once I knew I had those kinds of like seven, eight basic big threads I was going to follow. Then I started down and I started writing just one and then I would branch off and then I would like kind of follow one branch as I was working on it. And I wrote this during the pandemic. And so it actually worked out really well because each time I would sit down to write, I could write like a little choice section. Like what I thought of as like a little chapter, little two page, one page chapter. And then I would hit a choice and the next day or the next session I would sit down to write I would kind of follow one of those choices and kind of go to the end. And then I would go back to the beginning and then follow the next one all the way to the end. Once I started doing three or four of those, I started getting really confused about which thing I'd done and had I referenced that person before. And like, you know, there's a, I started realizing there's character arcs that happen in each of those stories. Like if you start making bad choices and you go down that road, you're now forming a certain kind of character. Um, or if you start like focusing on a business standpoint versus artistic, that's going to form your character. So that became really tricky. So then I started using an Excel spreadsheet where I would just put in like a little kind of key for what the thing was. And then I could see very easily like, all right, this goes to one or two. And then I would go to one or two and that would be the thing. And so that was helpful in terms of me tracking, which I had actually written out. I would go and look back and I'd see, oh, I haven't answered you know, choice three, I have to fill that in and I'd go fill out on all those things. I also used a program called Twine, which is a free open source piece of software that's literally used for building um, interactive multi-choice kinds of games or stories. And so I used that and that was really helpful because I could just cut and paste my chapters from the Word document into Twine and then enter in where it was going. And then that was a great way to check did I have any dead ends or were things not looping in the right way? Um, so that was really helpful. And that's what that is. That big map that I sent you is the map of there's, there's 307 different chapters. 
Um, you know, some of them are like a couple pages, three, three, four pages max. And then some of them are just a couple lines, but that's the whole thing. And then I was able to entwine, zoom out and look at that whole map. And it shows how everything connects. You can follow the little lines and you see this goes to that, this goes back to that. And so it was really helpful just to visualize for me to see it. And how many pages is the, the total book? So the book in the printing ended up being like 413 pages, about thereabouts. Okay. Yeah, so not incredibly long. Yeah, it's 97,000 words, 95,000 words, I think. But we wanted to do, the other thing I wanted to do, I loved, you know, the Choose Your Adventure books. And one of the things I always loved about the Choose Your Adventure books was the ending illustrations. Because as you'd flip through the book to find your choice that you'd made, you'd see these other illustrations and you'd be like, oh, what's that? Like, I want to find that particular thing. So I knew I wanted to do a bunch of illustrations for it. And um, once I realized that that was going to, I started asking around friends of mine who were artists. I'm like, what would you charge to do five black and white illustrations? And they were like, $1,000. And I said, whoa, <laughs> That's, this is going to be expensive. So I decided to do a Kickstarter um, to kind of like help pay for the illustrations. And uh, I did that last fall. And that was, a, that was the first time I'd done a Kickstarter for that. It was a really fun experience. And we ended up being able to pay for... 40 illustrations. So there's 40 illustrations in the book and there's 103 endings. So we illustrate almost half of the endings, which is cool. I feel like I need to ask this because this topic is so much fun. Is there a section that's just a few pages long with a couple of choices that we could all do together? Uh, yeah, I have to pull it up. Let me see. All right. So we'll do, uh, we'll start off with kind of an early thing. So we're going to do the, your actual first day of film school when you go into film school. Okay. So this is one of the first big choices that you get. It's your first day of film school. You've gone into film school and you have your orientation. Uh, so the 50 members of your incoming cohort surround you. Some look like they're just out of high school, while others have clearly done time in the real world. Some of them are stylish, some are furtive, but every single one of them has a hungry, ambitious gleam in their eye. The dean of the film school, Barbara Mankiewicz, strides out to a podium. She's small but confident, polished and poised. Her gray hair perfectly complements her dark blue business suit. She certainly looks like a woman who routinely rubs shoulders with the most powerful people in the film business. Welcome, filmmakers, to Southern California University, she says to the gathered students. How many of you would like to direct? About 50 hands, including yours, go up. Barbara nods, unsurprised. Now, she continues, how many of you will actually become directors? At first, no one budges. But she motions for people to drop their hands, and one by one, the other students obey. Finally, only you and a young woman with spiky blue hair are left. The dean holds out her hands to freeze you in place. There, she says. Statistically, that's how many of you will become directors. Two out of 50, or about 4%. And an even smaller percentage of you will actually make a living directing. You and the young woman lock eyes, trying not to be too pleased that you made the cut. Okay, hands down, hot shots, commands the dean. Blushing, you and the young woman lower your hands. The other students chuckle. Who those directors will actually be, we don't know yet. But we do know that the average film or television show employs around 200 crew members. She lets that sink in. Which means there are roughly 200 other job openings on each project. Producers, writers, cinematographers, sound technicians, editors, hundreds of possibilities await you. You may not become directors, but you can all find success in the film business. She gestures to the tables at the back of the auditorium. 
Each one features a slick display showcasing the track offered as well as a faculty member to answer questions. Now each of you has the same course schedule but you can choose what you want your electives to be. Simply go to your respective table and you receive your schedule. Best of luck with your studies and don't forget the real world ends here. While the other students immediately head towards various tables, you hang back. You spent the whole summer thinking about which track you wanted to follow, but now you're having second thoughts. The blue-haired woman, you notice, makes a beeline straight for the directing table. Should you join her or pick something else? If you decide to focus on producing, go to 216. If you decide to focus on writing, go to 303. If you decide to focus on cinematography, go to 54. To focus on post-production, go to 207. Screw statistics, the only job you care about is directing. Turn to 75. So this is kind of the big first main choice you get to make. And you can see it's like those five threads I talked about, kind of the, you know, different pathways. Um, we don't, I mean, we could go read one and see what happens if you want. Uh, do you want to pick one? Joiner, be ambitious. The directing, you want to directing? All right, we'll go to 75. Um, and we did a... a, a ebook version of this and the cool thing about that is there's hyperlinks for all the choices so you can literally go straight to the the choice i actually like flipping through the book because <laughs> but it's cool that they we had we have kind of different ways of doing it all right so 75 why mess around you ask yourself i came to film school to direct every name that inspired you to be a filmmaker spielberg scorsese tarantino kieslowski lynch they're all directors you want to follow in their footsteps you head over to the directing table. The other students greet you coolly. Clearly, all of them are as intimidated as you are. To fight against that, you hold out your hand toward the blue-haired woman and introduce yourself. Ruti Basu, she replies, taking your hand in hers. Nice to meet you, hotshot, you say with a smile. Your directing teacher comes over to welcome all of you. He's a bearded man in his 60s named Fred Kagan. He spent over 30 years directing film and television, including episodes of Lost, Breaking Bad, and The Leftovers. During your first semester, you're thrown immediately into movie-making. You're expected to make five short films in 15 weeks while also taking classes in storytelling, acting, and film history. You and Ruti quickly emerge as the exciting filmmakers to watch in class. You even develop something of an unspoken competition. She makes a gripping relationship short and you respond with a thrilling period piece set in a World War I bunker. You inspire each other to work harder and push yourselves creatively. Every Friday, Fred screens a movie for your class and brings in the director to talk about it. Since you live in Los Angeles, many of the directors are able to appear in person. You get to meet the helmers of The Hurt Locker, The Lobster, The Princess Bride, and Avengers Endgame. But the real thrill comes when Fred books Ryan Chanter, the director of a heist movie called Red Flag. You and Ruti both agree it was the coolest, most exciting film of the last few years. Ryan is only about 10 years older than you. He's fun and charming during the post-film Q&A, staying longer than most directors usually do. When Fred finally sends the class home, you and Ruti decide to wait outside the building to thank Ryan for his time. He grins when he sees the two of you standing in the parking lot. Now this is what I'm talking about, he says, holding his arms wide. A real director stays however long it takes to get the shot. I assume you two have some more questions? When you nod, he beckons you toward his Tesla parked in the VIP spot. Well then why don't we all go get a drink? The night is young. You and Ruti look at each other. You're both a bit nervous about getting in a car with someone who's essentially a stranger. But he's also a well-known director, you remind yourself. It's not like he's going to do anything illegal. What do you think? Ruti asks you in a whisper. If you join Ryan for a drink, turn to 128. If you make an excuse, go to 159. So I will say that uh, this one becomes pretty dark uh, because it is based on a real director 
who was well known for doing this. Um, he would come to Q and A's and pick up on students and then bring the students back like and drop them off the next morning. Um, so that's based on a true story. And that, that speech too on the first day uh, was I almost verbatim to the speech that I got from uh, Dean Daly, Elizabeth Daly, who's still the Dean at USC. She basically went to our cohort and said, none of you are going to become directors. You know, and of course all of us are sitting there like, well, I'm going to become a director. Like, and you know, she was right though. It's like out of that 50 people, like I think a couple of us are directors. One of us has won an Academy award. Uh, Chris Terrio who's in my cohort, won an Academy award for writing Argo. So it's like the numbers were true. But uh, you certainly don't believe any of that as you're sitting there, you know, on the first day of film school. So I really wanted to capture that. That's awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for sharing. I think that'll add a lot to, to this episode. Um, so before we jump off, can you just let everyone know what you're working on next and how to keep up with you? Yes. So I'm on all uh, social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter, at Matt Harry, MH, um, on Facebook. I'm actually currently working on, I have, uh, we're doing an adaptation of You're a Filmmaker with some producers trying to adapt it into like a mobile game, um, which I think would be really cool and fun. We're in the beginning stages of that. And I'm also working on um, early stages of an animated TV show that um, we're kind of working on the pitch deck for and saying that around. And then the other thing I'm doing kind of uh, is an interactive walking tour that's kind of like a mystery that you solve while you go on like a walking tour of an area and go to different locations and solve a mystery. So several different things. I can't seem to commit to one medium. <laughs> I just, I just keep hopping around to different ones. I also started a new book last week, a new novel. So yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to see what you work on in the future. You always seem to be incorporating what you've learned from one medium into the next. And it's really neat to watch. Um, so Thank you again. This was lovely. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thanks for listening to the Indie Writer Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. We want to thank the Writing Block community for the continued support. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or at writingblock.com, no K. Remem remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing. Welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast, where we talk about all things writing and indie publishing. I'm Jackie Castle, and I'm joined by Becca Spence-Tobias. Today, we're excited to talk about writing choose-your-own-adventure stories with the returning guest, Matt Harry. Matt is an author, editor, screenwriter, and playwright. He graduated from the University of Southern California with an MFA in film production and has worked for ABC, CBS, Sony, and HGTV. He has edited over 20 novels, several of which have gone on to win awards or optioned for television and film. In 2019, he wrote and directed an interactive romantic comedy called Somebody to Love. He has also written the novels Sorcery for Beginners, Cryptozoology for Beginners, and Super Kid. His latest novel, You Are a Filmmaker, is an interactive novel based on his 25 years in the film industry. Welcome, Matt. We're so excited to have you back. Yeah, thank you for having me again. I I love the podcast. I, I literally every time I listen to it, I walk around all day going like the opening music sticks in my head all day. So it's great. <laughs> so Matt, to start us off, just tell us a little bit about your new project, and then I have a lot of specific questions for you regarding your process because Matt shared these amazing like 
um, I guess, story maps or legends for the story and how he keeps track of all the different um, storylines and how they intertwine. So we're going to get into that. But to start us off, so our and listeners are a little oriented, can you just tell us about You Are a Filmmaker? Absolutely. And again, yeah, thank, thank you for having me on to talk about it. So You Are a Filmmaker is an interactive novel about making it big in the film business. And um, it's kind of based on 25 years of my personal experience in the film and TV business and also stories from people I know that I've worked with and then kind of famous people that I've heard their stories about what it's like in this kind of unusual business. Um, And so literally everything, there's a little thing I put in the beginning of the book that says everything in this book happened, probably. Um, because even the ones that are, I kind of invented out of my head, they were based on things that, you know, are not too far away from things that happen to people. So, uh, one thing I should say is, uh, I found out early on when I was working on this book that the phrase choose your adventure is actually a trademarked phrase and I couldn't use it in any of my uh, official marketing or anything like that. Like I can't, if I put it on the book, like I'll get sued. So that's why I started calling it uh, an interactive novel. Huh. That is really interesting. So should we change the name of this episode? You're probably fine. If you get a cease and desist letter, you know, uh, then maybe we'll reconceive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would have never thought that. Um, One of the things that first came to mind, and maybe you could speak to a little bit, is that that term, you know, choose your own adventure, interactive novels, my mind goes immediately to YA and middle grade. So was that something that you were into as a kid? And is it something that you've always wanted to write? I was a huge fan of Choose Your Adventure books when I was a kid, that series. Um, And I literally still have the first 100 of them in my house. Like my parents moved a few years ago. They retired to Cleveland. And so they were packing up everything. And my mom was like, I don't know, do you want these books? And she sent me a picture of this giant box of choose your adventure books, like from the early eighties that I had had. And I was like, yes. Oh my God. So I, and the last time I went home, I took back a, a whole separate bag just for those books. And what's been amazing is my own kids. I have a six year old and an 11 year old. They've now been reading them and rediscovering them, but because they're these crappy paper books, like they open them and like all the pages fall out. <laughs> so I'm like, you have to be careful. Those are antiques. But yeah, I was a big, big fan of those books and um, I read a bunch of them. And then through those books, I got into a couple of other choose your adventure type series like Fighting Fantasy was a big one. There was a um, dungeon crawler type fantasy that was like a D&D based one that I read. There was an Indiana Jones series that I really liked, which was like you're Indiana Jones and you're going on all these different Indiana Jones adventures. So I was always a huge fan of those types of books as a kid. And then I kind of, you know, you start reading adult stuff, you get away from that, you forget about it. And, you know, frankly, I didn't consider even writing one until a few years ago when I did this interactive play um, called Somebody to Love. And I was like, I had such a great time doing it because it was basically like it was a play. So it it was live and we had four actors, five actors, and then we had an audience show up and this the lead character was telling the audience, she's like dating these three guys, but you can't pick which one to like kind of be with. And so the audience follows her on three different dates and watches them and then picks which person she's going to end up being with. 
And I had such a fun time doing that. I immediately was like, how can I do this with other different stories? And I was like, well, I've written novels. Could I, I was something like, what a choose your adventure. Like, could that be a thing? Like, does that exist as like, do they exist for adults? And so I started doing research and I found these great books by Ryan North, who is a comic book writer. And he wrote these adult choose your adventure versions of Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet. And he funded the first one on Kickstarter. Uh, it was called uh, To Be or Not To Be. That is the adventure. That's the, the Hamlet one. And so I picked it up and I just thought it was so funny and fun to read and to take this thing that the story we know really well and make it a choose your adventure and you can pick characters. And it was just really fun and it had tons of illustrations. And then that was like my inspiration of like, I really want to do this, you know, my own version of this. And then kind of was thinking like, what could that be? What could my version of that be? Because there's been, as I started doing more research, there's been a ton of different ones. There's like adult Jane Austen choose your adventure type things where you're kind of in a Jane Austen novel. Um, there's a lot of romance ones, like romance and erotica type choose your adventure stuff is really popular. And so I was trying to think of something different and you're thinking about what do I know? And I obviously came back to kind of film and that immediately, uh, uh, this idea of jobs, I thought was really interesting as a choose your adventure thing. Because I think most of us in our lives, that's the biggest thing we get to choose is like, what do we do for a living and all the different pathways we could take? And should I take this job or that job? Or should I move here or go there? And so immediately I was like, you, there could be, you are a doctor, you are a musician, you are a, you know, whatever it is, a teacher. And to do the first one, I was like, well, I got to do the thing I know the best, which is filmmaking. So that was a very long answer. Uh, so you mentioned that you've written novels. And I know, like, when I'm writing fiction, sometimes it can be hard to figure out which, which way I want the story to go. And so this kind of gives you a way to express all of, all of the ways you want to um, go with the story. But I'm wondering if you have like any desire for your readers to pick a certain <laughs> path? Like, is it hard for you to not know if they're going to pick the right way for the story to go? That's a really interesting question. I think there's an interesting thing about, uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of like immersive storytelling. Um, pretty much everything I do now has some kind of element of immersive storytelling. And I think the thing with that is you have to be willing to let it go off the rails a little bit. You have to be willing to let the audience kind of not do the thing you're expecting, which happens. Like when I was doing the immersive play, we literally had, we were walking around outside and our lead actress, as she was in the middle of the show, she was like leading, you know, the audience from one place to the other. A friend of hers pulled up in a car and was like, Trisha, how's it going? Hey, what are you doing? And Trisha stayed in character. And she was like, I think you have the wrong person. Sorry, my name is so-and-so. And like, we kept going. And then after the show, she had to text her friend and she's like, I'm so sorry. Like that was, you know, I was in the middle of doing a show. I had to be stay in character. Um, so that kind of stuff, I think you have to be willing to let that stuff happen. With the book, I definitely, I definitely, as I was writing it, I wanted to follow all these different pathways. I wanted there to be good and bad stuff. I wanted people to have the opportunity to make what I think of as like bad choices, selfish choices. But then I really tried, it came as I was writing it, I really started to realize, well, I don't want to necessarily reward people for making selfish choices. 
because what I've seen again, like being in this business for 25 years is I feel like you see people who do get success by being jerks, but I, I think everyone knows they're jerks. Like everybody has like, like the, the people who are the bad people, they get the reputation. Everyone knows they're kind of doing it and they may not get punished for it immediately, but I think they get punished for it eventually. And so that was something, whether it's, you know, like you think about like Harvey Weinstein or people like that who, you know, spent decades horribly mistreating people, but eventually got his comeuppance and went to prison. Um, and I think we're now having a kind of a reckoning in Hollywood for people like that. And so that was something that I really wanted to put in there is like, you can make these bad choices and you may find success, but you will, it's not going to be as happy an ending. And at the same time, I wanted to acknowledge the people who, you know, that there are all kinds of happiness in the business, that being happy doesn't mean necessarily winning Academy Awards and making hundreds of millions of dollars, because I know people who are very happy working like middle-class jobs, or I know people who have left the business and find happiness because they're like, it wasn't for me. So I wanted to kind of be true to all of that um, and acknowledge that like, you don't have to be a huge success to be happy. And that if it, there is a karmic, I think, aspect to working in any industry of like how you treat people, the decisions you make, it's all going to kind of come back to you at some point. Uh, I was just going to ask if you think that all of that applies to publishing too, that people get <laughs> what goes around comes around in publishing and your thoughts on success. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, all these, particularly creative industries, I think are, are hard because a lot of times, you know, you're dealing with all the stuff you're dealing with in any other business, but you also have this kind of creative aspect, which is hard to figure, you know, it's like, it's this ineffable thing sometimes. Like someone saying something is good or bad is a matter of opinion. And so there's all these like, and there's a lot of emotion in it too. You know, I'm sure there's emotion with people like who are plumbers, <laughs> but it's not as emotional because it's not something you created out of yourself that you're trying to share with the world. So it's, it's already difficult. And then there's this added thing of you're, you're dealing with people's emotions and I mean, when I worked as an editor, um, I worked for an indie publisher called Inkshares for several years as an editor. <laughs> and um, I edited your book, both of your books. Um, and so it was really tricky sometimes dealing with the emotional aspect of stuff. Like we would give people notes and they would take it hard. And I felt terrible about that. Uh, and I would try and say, like, look, these are these are our opinions. This is the things we'd like you to do, you know. But um, at the end of the day, it's like I was answering to somebody. But it's like it, it kind of made me realize, too, that uh, it gave me an appreciation for what it was like to be on the other side of the desk, like in, in development, because I'd always been a writer before that. And then you go in and you realize, like, there's all these things that writers aren't thinking about, like release dates and similar titles and, you know, companies that are asking for certain kinds of things that they want to see. And do you respond to that? Do you, you know, so there's a lot of like all this other political stuff that kind of goes on behind the scenes, which also kind of, I think came to bear when I was writing this book, you know, I was able to kind of write from that perspective. Like there's some of those jobs that you can take where you have to make those decisions and you're kind of holding people's dreams in your hand. And, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to deal with that? Are you just going to like say, do this, who cares and crush their dreams? Or are you going to try and, you know, take care of that a little bit? 
which I, I tried my best to do. I don't know that it's always successful because it's so emotional. <laughs> and, you know, I think sometimes you're like, this is my opinion. These are the notes. And people are like, well, you're wrong. And it's like, that's valid. That's valid. And it's really interesting when I was thinking about this project that you're working on, it reminded me a lot of, you know, we talked how there's some similarities between role-playing games as well, where people are just kind of ready to change that world depending on the feedback they receive. Um, but you have this very interesting angle from it in that a certain path of this kind of represents your life. And so can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Because I imagine, you know, it's different than you're writing the, you're a film, you're a teacher, you are a plumber, or, you know, any other book you might do is that one of these paths are the paths that you have chosen or the paths that have opened to you or the doors you have closed. And I just imagine that was a really interesting process for you because you're also exploring what would my life have been had I taken this other turn? So can you speak to that? Yeah, interesting is definitely a word I would use. Uh, traumatic would be another word. <laughs> Therapeutic would be another word. It was It was way more emotional than I expected to work on this because as I was working on it, of course, I, you draw on what you know. And as I started writing about little scenarios, I would find myself putting in these scenes that had actually happened to me. And at a certain point, I was like, well, this would be really interesting to kind of show people which things had kind of happened to me and which had not. Um, there's actually not one exact pathway that goes through the book because I've hopped around a lot and I've done a bunch of different things. I worked as an editor. Um, I've done sound. I've directed things. I've done some producing so I kind of drew upon all that and it's kind of sprinkled throughout all the, the different pathways. And I don't know the ending of my own story at this point. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping I'm only halfway through my film career and that something, you know, things will happen at some point. I still have that, you know, ultimate hope that, you know, maybe I'll get to make a, a TV show that I create or a, you know, another film that I direct or something like that. I'm still very active kind of developing projects, but, um, yeah, it was very it was very interesting working on that because when I'd work on those scenes, I would definitely have those thoughts of like, what if I like, what if I done this instead of that, or mistakes that I made. You know, I I totally made the wrong decision at that point, and I just have to nothing I can do about it. I can't go back. So I ended up coming away feeling very zen about it, in a way, because it was like. I at least, if I couldn't go fix the mistakes in my own life, at least I could like think about what might have happened had I done the other thing instead and where would that have led. I feel like that would tempt me to make all of the other decisions and not as well. <laughs> like to kind of justify <laughs> the decisions that I'd made. You're a bigger person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I, I, I did my best. I have flaws like anybody and I'm sure that there's... Um, you know, the, the thing I think about once you're here longer in the business is like you do hit this point of realizing that you can only live your path and you, know, you can kind of only walk on the road that's in front of you. And all those things that you do, all those choices you make are just part of who you are. And even if I think I was able to like go do other things, I don't know that they would have fit who I really am. So I feel like you ultimately end up picking the things that are, I think, best for you. And I, I used to really beat myself up about it, you know, when I would see other people I knew kind of getting success or whatever. 
Um, and then I just realized it's like, that's not, I'm not on that path. I didn't have access to those opportunities or even the personality to do things the way they, they do things. So it's kind of, I think just kind of, you know, becoming a little bit more comfortable with like who, who I am and, and kind of the choices I've made and what I've done and trying to use that to build off the next choice and improve the next choice, hopefully. Yeah. So that makes me think like, it's kind of interesting when you're reading a book like this, you probably use more logic in choosing which path you're going to take than you might in your own life, where you might be going off of like a combination of logic and gut feeling, or maybe you're going to use gut feeling more because there are lower stakes. I don't know. I feel like it's interesting. We did a couple, we've done a couple readings of it um, with like, cause we did a Kickstarter campaign. So one of the things we did for the backers was, we did a live reading of it with a bunch of actors, which was really fun. And what I found doing that is because it was a group thing, everybody was picking the bad choices. Like everybody was like, they, they literally picked one of the worst in terms of like morality, one of the worst pathways in the book, which is based on like a true story of this really terrible director who did these terrible things and they just kept picking it. And I kept going like, are you guys sure you want to pick this? They're like, yeah, pick the, the bad thing, do it. And so I think there was like a, there's also a fun kind of safe what if aspect that I think plays into this, which is like, you get to do the things that you wouldn't feel comfortable doing or the things that are criminal or the things that are, you know, inappropriate. You get to kind of do that stuff because it's safe in the book form. You know, you, you can just go back and flip to the other thing. So that was an interesting thing I was I was surprised about. That's fascinating. And it makes me think, I know that in the adult space, you know, the books are relatively new, which hopefully you're kind of helping to pave that way and it becomes a bigger thing. But I noticed even some of the streaming platforms have done kind of choose your own adventure stories. There was like a Kimmy Schmidt movie and like a Black Mirror episode. And I can totally see like as a viewer when I've tried to watch those and I'm like, oh, I want to pick. I want to pick the most dramatic choice because I just want to see what they do. And I think as you become savvy about that, um, you also start to realize and I want to talk to you about exactly how you break this down, that some of those choices are going to turn you back around more quickly. Um, to the main storyline again. So did every did every path that your readers took like continue or did you have some where it was like a dead end that kind of brought you back to the main storyline? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, and as I was working on this, I went through and I, I started doing research about a lot of these new techniques because there's a lot of as you know, people are kind of rediscovering these books now and writing adult versions of them. I think they're kind of improving on and expanding upon what we used to think of as the classic chooser adventure model. So now there's things like loops that you can go through. There are things that people do where the characters have like hit points or stats even so that as you're reading these game books, you can like pick up items that you can use in other places. And if you don't have the item, you can't move on. I didn't do a lot of that. Um, I kind of, but I did have some like there's secret endings in it. There are some loops that happen so like you can go back and re-choose things because I did want it to echo what I think is true in the business, which is that I don't feel like things are closed off forever. You know, I feel like as long as you're alive and you're creative, you can always kind of reinvent yourself. So I wanted to really have that be an option that even if you go down a certain pathway and you maybe kind of lose your way a little bit, you can, there are certain points where you can go back and try and reinvent yourself. 
Like there's a couple of pathways where you can choose to write a screenplay. And there's one where you choose to make your own movie. And there's one where you could even go back to film school. Because like the first, the very first choice in the first page of the book, because again, I wanted to honor this too, is that you don't have to go to film school to be a filmmaker. I went to film school, but I know a lot of people who didn't. They just started making movies or they wrote plays and then came into the film business and they're very good filmmakers. So the very first page of the book is it's your first day of film school and you're about to walk in and you're excited. And then this filmmaker comes out, this crazy guy, and he's like, we're just going to make our own movies. Like, who's with me? And you can choose to leave film school on the first day and go with this kind of crazy filmmaker guy, or you can go inside to film school. But I wanted to also honor, like, if you leave film school with that guy, at a certain point, you can go back if you want to. Um, so there's a couple of, of loops like that. Um, I also wanted to kind of show that there are certain kind of, I wanted to have each story be meaty enough and also have it be kind of justified. I think one of the things that used to bum me out about choose your adventure books is sometimes you'd pick the thing and then this random thing would happen to you. It's like, I'm going to choose to do this thing because it makes sense. And it's like, unfortunately, a satellite fell on your head. You are dead. And it's like, what? Satellite? Now, there are a couple of those in this book, but I try not to do too many. Um, I kept a couple just because I think that is kind of life. Like sometimes things happen. Um, like I actually went to film school with a woman named Tanya Trepanier. She was a semester behind me in film school and she graduated film school. It was two weeks after film school. She was getting ready to enter the business. She was riding her bike to campus and she was hit by a bus and she was killed. And I, that always stuck with me. The fact that like she had these, you know, hopes and dreams and these plans and she'd gone through film school and she was ready to kind of start her career. And then this random thing happened that could have happened to any of us. You know, I rode my bike to school sometimes. I crossed those same streets. So I did want to kind of acknowledge things like that as well. There's another thing in the book too, where um, I knew a producer who was the boyfriend of a woman that, uh, who's an actor, who's in a movie I did, uh, named Chris Brinker. And he was a indie film producer. He produced Boondock Saints um, and Boondock Saints 2. So he was making movies and he was on set one day and he had this really bad headache in the morning and he was kind of like ignoring it. And then the, they were like, you need to go to the hospital. And he went to the hospital and he had a brain aneurysm and he, he passed away that morning. And it was, again, one of those just random things. He was totally healthy um, and it just kind of it totally, you know, obviously devastated his girlfriend, Erica, because it was so unexpected. And so I wanted to, to honor that aspect of it, that sometimes no matter how much we plan things, certain things can happen. But I think in general, that stuff's really rare. So I didn't have that many kind of random endings. A lot of it I tried to build out of the choices you make lead to things happening, which lead to other things happening, which kind of compound, you know, your decisions. So from a process standpoint, Matt, what did that look like when you sat down? Did you have like one storyline that you wrote first and then you're like, all right, where could this branch off? Or just talk us through that a little bit, because I'm looking at these. I'm going to share these on Instagram at some point. These okay. these um, legends that you sent us, <laughs> because it's just it's so many overlapping lines. And the, the book, you can answer this in this answer as well, is not super long. So my brain is like, how does this even all fit into these pages. Um, so talk us through what that looked like. You sit down to write. Do you say, I'm going to go ahead and punch out all of storyline A? What do you do? 
Yeah, so I knew the first once I'd set, I'd settled on doing kind of a career track, I knew I wanted to focus on kind of the main career routes. And the great thing about filmmaking is it is broken up into departments, right? Like if you're going to be work a career, you're going to be like a producer or you're going to be a director or a writer or a crew person. So I knew I had those routes kind of in mind. And um, then I knew I wanted to do kind of the, the film school route versus the indie route. And so that was in my mind. And yeah, I kind of start once I knew I had those kinds of like seven, eight basic big threads I was going to follow. Then I started down and I started writing just one and then I would branch off and then I would like kind of follow one branch as I was working on it. And I wrote this during the pandemic. And so it actually worked out really well because each time I would sit down to write, I could write like a little choice section, like what I thought of as like a little chapter, little two page, one page chapter. And then I would hit a choice and the next day or the next session I would sit down to write, I would kind of follow one of those choices and kind of go to the end. And then I would go back to the beginning and then follow the next one all the way to the end. Once I started doing three or four of those, I started getting really confused about which thing I'd done and had I referenced that person before. And like, you know, there's a, I started realizing there's character arcs that happen in each of those stories. Like if you start making bad choices and you go down that road, you're now forming a certain kind of character. Um, or if you start like focusing on a business standpoint versus artistic, that's going to form your character. So that became really tricky. So then I started using an Excel spreadsheet where I would just put in like a little kind of key for what the thing was. And then I could see very easily like, all right, this goes to one or two. And then I would go to one or two and that would be the thing. And so that was helpful in terms of me tracking which I had actually written out. I would go and look back and I'd see, oh, I haven't answered, you know, choice three. I have to fill that in. And I would go fill out on all those things. I also used a program called Twine, which is a free open source piece of software that's literally used for building um, interactive multi-choice kinds of games or stories. And so I used that and that was really helpful because I could just cut and paste my chapters from the Word document into Twine and then enter in where it was going. And then that was a great way to check, did I have any dead ends or were things not looping in the right way? Um, so that was really helpful. And that's what that is, that big map that I sent you is the map of there's, there's 307 different chapters. Um, you know, some of them are like a couple pages, three, three, four pages max. And then some of them are just a couple lines, but that's the whole thing. And then I was able to entwine, zoom out and look at that whole map. And it shows how everything connects. You can follow the little lines and you see this goes to that, this goes back to that. And so it was really helpful just to visualize for me to see it. And how many pages is the, the total book? So the book in the printing ended up being like 413 pages, about thereabouts. Okay. Yeah, so not incredibly long. Yeah, it's 97,000 words, 95,000 words, I think. But we wanted to do, the other thing I wanted to do, I loved, you know, the Choose Your Adventure books. And one of the things I always loved about the Choose Your Adventure books was the ending illustrations. Because as you'd flip through the book to find your choice that you'd made, you'd see these other illustrations and you'd be like, oh, what's that? Like, I want to find that particular thing. So I knew I wanted to do a bunch of illustrations for it. And um, once I realized that that was going to, I started asking around friends of mine who were artists. I'm like, what would you charge to do five black and white illustrations? 
and they were like a thousand dollars. And I said, Whoa, <laughs> that's, this is going to be expensive. So I decided to do a Kickstarter, um, to kind of like help pay for the illustrations. And, uh, I did that last fall and that was a, that was the first time I'd done a Kickstarter for that. It was a really fun experience. And we ended up being able to pay for 40 illustrations. So there's 40 illustrations in the book and there's 103 endings. So we illustrate almost half of the endings, which is cool. I feel like I need to ask this because this topic is so much fun. Is there a section that's just a few pages long with a couple choices that we could all do together? Uh, yeah, I have to pull it up. Let me see. All right. So we'll do, uh, we'll start off kind of an early thing. So we're going to do the, your actual first day of film school when you go into film school. Okay. So this is one of the first big choices that you get. It's your first day of film school. You've gone into film school and you have your orientation. Uh, so the 50 members of your incoming cohort surround you. Some look like they're just out of high school while others have clearly done time in the real world. Some of them are stylish, some are furtive, but every single one of them has a hungry, ambitious gleam in their eye. The dean of the film school, Barbara Mankiewicz, strides out to a podium. She's small but confident, polished and poised. Her gray hair perfectly complements her dark blue business suit. She certainly looks like a woman who routinely rubs shoulders with the most powerful people in the film business. Welcome, filmmakers, to Southern California University, she says to the gathered students. How many of you would like to direct? About 50 hands, including yours, go up. Barbara nods, unsurprised. Now, she continues, how many of you will actually become directors? At first, no one budges, but she motions for people to drop their hands, and one by one, the other students obey. Finally, only you and a young woman with spiky blue hair are left. The dean holds out her hands to freeze you in place. There, she says. Statistically, that's how many of you will become directors. Two out of 50, or about 4%. And an even smaller percentage of you will actually make a living directing. You and the young woman lock eyes, trying not to be too pleased that you made the cut. Okay, hands down, hot shots, commands the dean. Blushing, you and the young woman lower your hands. The other students chuckle. Who those directors will actually be, we don't know yet. But we do know that the average film or television show employs around 200 crew members. She lets that sink in. Which means there are roughly 200 other job openings on each project. Producers, writers, cinematographers, sound technicians, editors, hundreds of possibilities await you. You may not become directors, but you can all find success in the film business. She gestures to the tables at the back of the auditorium. Each one features a slick display showcasing the track offered, as well as a faculty member to answer questions. Now, each of you has the same course schedule, but you can choose what you want your electives to be. Simply go to your respective table, and you receive your schedule. Best of luck with your studies, and don't forget... The real world ends here. While the other students immediately head towards various tables, you hang back. You spent the whole summer thinking about which track you wanted to follow, but now you're having second thoughts. The blue-haired woman, you notice, makes a beeline straight for the directing table. Should you join her or pick something else? If you decide to focus on producing, go to 216. If you decide to focus on writing, go to 303. If you decide to focus on cinematography, go to 54. To focus on post-production, go to 207. Screw statistics. The only job you care about is directing. Turn to 75. So this is kind of the big first main choice you get to make. And you can see it's like those five threads I talked about, kind of the, you know, different pathways. Um, we don't, I mean, we could go read one and see what happens if you want. Uh, do you want to pick one? Joiner. Be ambitious. The directing? You want to directing? All right. We'll go to 75. Um, and we did uh, a... a 
ebook version of this. And the cool thing about that is there's hyperlinks for all the choices. So you can literally go straight to the, the choice. I actually like flipping through the book because, <laughs> but it's cool that they, we had, we have kind of different ways of doing it. All right. So 75, why mess around? You ask yourself, I came to film school to direct every name that inspired you to be a filmmaker, Spielberg, Scorsese, Tarantino, Kieślowski, Lynch. They're all directors. You want to follow in their footsteps. You head over to the directing table. The other students greet you coolly. Clearly all of them are as intimidated as you are. To fight against that, you hold out your hand toward the blue-haired woman and introduce yourself. Ruti Basu, she replies, taking her, your hand in hers. Nice to meet you, hotshot, you say with a smile. Your directing teacher comes over to welcome all of you. He's a bearded man in his 60s named Fred Kagan. He spent over 30 years directing film and television, including episodes of Lost, Breaking Bad, and The Leftovers. During your first semester, you're thrown immediately into movie making. You're expected to make five short films in 15 weeks, while also taking classes in storytelling, acting, and film history. You and Ruti quickly emerge as the exciting filmmakers to watch in class. You even develop something of an unspoken competition. She makes a gripping relationship short, and you respond with a thrilling period piece set in a World War I bunker. You inspire each other to work harder and push yourselves creatively. Every Friday, Fred screens a movie for your class and brings in the director to talk about it. Since you live in Los Angeles, many of the directors are able to appear in person. You get to meet the helmers of The Hurt Locker, The Lobster, The Princess Bride, and Avengers Endgame. But the real thrill comes when Fred books Ryan Chanter, the director of a heist movie called Red Flag. You and Ruti both agree it was the coolest, most exciting film of the last few years. Ryan is only about 10 years older than you. He's fun and charming during the post-film Q&A, staying longer than most directors usually do. When Fred finally sends the class home, you and Ruti decide to wait outside the building to thank Ryan for his time. He grins when he sees the two of you standing in the parking lot. Now this is what I'm talking about, he says, holding his arms wide. A real director stays however long it takes to get the shot. I assume you two have some more questions? When you nod, he beckons you toward his Tesla parked in the VIP spot. Well, then why don't we all go get a drink? The night is young. You and Ruti look at each other. You're both a bit nervous about getting in a car with someone who's essentially a stranger. But he's also a well-known director, you remind yourself. It's not like he's going to do anything illegal. What do you think? Ruti asks you in a whisper. If you join Ryan for a drink, turn to 128. If you make an excuse, go to 159. So I will say that uh, this one becomes pretty dark uh, because it is based on a real director who was well-known for doing this. Um, he would come to Q&As and pick up on students and then bring the students back like, and drop them off the next morning. Um, so that's based on a true story. And that, that speech, too, on the first day uh, was... I almost verbatim to the speech that I got from uh, Dean Daly, Elizabeth Daly, who's still the Dean at USC. She basically went to our cohort and said, none of you are going to become directors. You know? And of course, all of us are sitting there like, well, I'm going to become a director. Like, and, you know, she was right though. It's like out of that 50 people, like I think a couple of us are directors. One of us has won an Academy Award. Uh, Chris Terrio who's in my cohort, won an Academy Award for writing Argo. So it's like the numbers were true. But uh, you certainly don't believe any of that as you're sitting there, you know, on the first day of film school. So I really wanted to capture that. That's awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for sharing. I think that'll add a lot to, to this episode. Um, so before we jump off, can you just let everyone know what you're working on next and how to keep up with you? Yes. So I'm on all uh, social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter, at Matt Harry, MH, um, on Facebook, I'm actually currently working on, I have 
a, we're doing an adaptation of you're a filmmaker with some producers trying to adapt it into like a mobile game, um, which I think would be really cool and fun. We're in the beginning stages of that. And I'm also working on um, early stages of an animated TV show that um, we're kind of working on the pitch deck for and saying that around. And then the other thing I'm doing kind of uh, is an interactive walking tour that's kind of like a mystery that you solve while you go on like a walking tour of an area and go to different locations and solve a mystery. So several different things. I can't seem to commit to one medium. <laughs> I, just, I just keep hopping around to different ones. I also started a new book last week, a new novel. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to see what you work on in the future. You always seem to be incorporating what you've learned from one medium into the next. And it's really neat to watch. Um, so thank you again. This was lovely. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thanks for listening to the Indie Writer Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. We want to thank the Writing Block community for the continued support. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or at writingblock.com, no K. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing. Happy writing.